0: lightens our, our hearts, God, and, uh, and brightens our path. Lord, we pray that as Scott would come before you, as we would come before you, Lord, to, to hear and listen uh, to the words that you have brought to him and through him for us, God. We pray that, that we would hear and listen well. God, inspire him, lead him, Lord, and help him, Lord, um, especially in light of all the difficulties we've already been having today, Lord, that we might not have any more uh, in the course of, of this time either. Lord, we thank you, and we come before you, God. Amen. But we'll see how this goes. <laughs> we have no idea. I don't either. But I love the Lord and he brings all kinds of things and we're going to work through them together no matter what it is that we go through this morning. You know, it's, it's weird on the 4th of July when I uh, preach on this particular uh, holiday is because my first sermon, the first time I ever stood in front of people and tried to Speak the Word of God was on the 4th of July weekend. Um, our pastor had given me something that he wanted me to say. It was already written out. And of course, I didn't do that. <laughs> and somehow, somehow they still allowed me to preach again, which I was to this day when I think of that in the position I'm in now, um, I go, wow, how, how in the world, how much grace was that? I guess this is what I'm called to do. And so through that, here I am many years later. That was way back in the 90s. Um, well, not that you needed to hear that, but I just thought I'd share that little bit of information with you. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning, but um, my name is Scott Johnson, and finally I can tell you for sure who I am. I am one of the pastor elders of this church. Hey, yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your uh, vote last week. And now I'll take the campaign signs down and... Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll move on as normal, okay? <laughs> yeah, you can take your button off, Clinton. Yeah, yeah. burn the shirts, burn the signs, burn everything, okay? <laughs> it's all about Christ. It's not about me at all. Trust me. So as we look today at our nation's independence tomorrow, as we celebrate that, we look around and we see a nation divided on many fronts. In politics, on issues that face our nation in the direction that people want our republic to go. There are passionate voices on each side. Venom is being thrown, and it seems that the value of debate has turned to personal attacks on anyone with a differing opinion. And that's on both sides. Growing up in the 60s, I remember the conflict in the streets over Vietnam and and race relations. I endured the 70s like many of you did. And I remember Watergate. And there has always been a conflict, it seems, but I don't remember seeing as much discord for one another as I see now. We've been through many wars and conflicts recently, Afghanistan and Iraq, and now we see the world facing decisions on what to do with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The conflicts we see drift into our country's view of religion. Is there a God? And if so, who is God? Christianity is not nearly as popular as it used to be. Church attendance has been on the decline for decades. In a Gallup poll released in June of this year, when people were asked, do you believe in God? 81% of people who responded said yes. That sounds like a promising number, But belief in God has been on the decline in the last decade. In 2011, 92% of Americans said they believed in God. In the 40s through the 60s, that number was as high as 98%. We have challenges ahead of us. According to the poll, young people between the ages of 18 and 29, only 68% believe in God. So what does this mean? What does this have to do with Psalm 62, our text for today? Well, it means we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do on our knees and a lot of work to do on our feet and with our voices. It means we're going to find more and more opposition to our Christian views and in a world that doesn't value debate as much as screaming at each other, trying to be louder than the other person so that they can be heard and drown out the descending voice. We, as Christians, must have a clear understanding of where we turn when we are threatened or tried to be silenced. And in our psalm today, David lays out a plan for us, a plan that will help us during these times of conflict. So let's read Psalm 62 together. A psalm written by David and sung in the congregation. So when you think about it, as we read this, remember that this this is not just a prayer, this is a song that the synagogue would pray together. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack man to batter him? Like a leaning wall. A tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath, those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we are, we are grateful to live in a country that is still free to be able to speak about you and to come and worship you. Lord, we know that we could actually be in a place that we would not be able to do that. And Lord, I am grateful that we are here. And I pray, God, that this morning that you will help me to preach your word in Psalm 62 in a way that glorifies you. And that our hearts and our minds would be open to hear what it is that you have to say. Some of this, Lord, is not going to be fun to hear. Some of it will be... Rejoicing in you. We will find comfort in it. But it is not fun to talk about conflict. But Lord, we are going to leave this into your hands and you are going to guide us into your word and bring us out where you want us to be. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we see by the words in the psalm, David and the nation of Israel were in conflict. <clears throat> Their enemies were attacking them, both verbally and physically. During that time, David wrote this psalm. We don't know exactly which battle he was in. There's really not any historical data that pinpoints where this happened, but we know that there was a conflict. Matt said last week that psalms can be difficult to preach, and they are, because they're usually songs or Prayers. And like I said, there isn't a definite time period in this one. But we do know there was conflict. And that helps give some background context to bring out the central message that we're going to hear today. What is David trying to show us and teach us in this psalm? The question we always ask is, what are we supposed to learn about what we hear in church? How do we apply this to our lives today? Is there something in this that my heart, my mind needs to hear and put to use? I'm going to tell you that today, there is not a person in here who can't get something from this. This is about us, okay? It's about us and our relationship with our Savior. We must keep in mind that... In the time that David wrote this, again, like Matt said last week, I'll talk a lot about what Matt said last week. This psalm actually is a parallel to what he spoke about. But Jesus hasn't come yet. David, in this psalm, as we go through together, he's looking forward to a Messiah to come. He has not seen Jesus. He doesn't know of the cross. But he knows that a Messiah is to come. And he has his faith in the God he knows. In this psalm, we're going to break this down into five parts. And I know that's scary. It sounds like we're going to be here a long time. I'm hoping that it won't be a really long time. But we're going to break this down into five parts. And the first thing we're going to see is David and Israel's patience with their unchanging God. And the second thing we're going to see is the exposing of their enemies' sin. The third thing is why the Lord alone is their personal Savior. Four, the exhortation for us to trust in eternal things, to trust in the Lord, that everything else is but a breath. And finally, five, that the Lord alone is the source of everlasting power and love and of our salvation. So David starts off with this powerful statement in the first two verses regarding his patience with God and why he remains so patient, even in silence. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. He says, for God alone my soul waits in silence. He is exposing his heart immediately in this psalm. There is a sense of anguish in his declaration. We know that he is in a conflict of some sort, a battle. Or maybe he is dealing with a personal attack on his character. But whatever is going on in David's lives and the lives of Israel, they are showing great faith in God. This beautiful and powerful section points out two things us to take note of the first one is that there is only one God and he is very personal David says for my God alone the world would have us believe that there's more than one God and he's not personal that he doesn't really care David starts out he says for my for God sorry sorry he says for my God alone The second thing is our inner being, our emotions, our mind, our whole self that breathes life is to passionately desire and wait for him. Even if it means to wait patiently and expectantly in silence, in prayer for him. David writes, my soul waits in silence. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Some questions that came to me were were these. The first one is, is how patient am I? How patient are we for God to answer? Do we pray one time and then if he hasn't answered in five minutes, we get mad at him because he's not immediately answering our prayer? God is eternal. And we need to trust in him and his promises. He's a God who does not lie. His promises are real and true, and they will happen. And we need to be patient and wait for him. The second one is Does my whole self, my emotions, my mind, my very breath that I breathe, passionately desire and long for the Lord? Does it? Does yours? Do you long for the Lord with everything that is within you? Every breath you take? When you get up in the morning, do you thank him for waking you up? This is what David was talking about. Are we persistently, expectantly, waiting for the Lord in prayer? How tenacious are you to wait for him to answer? When difficulties come into our lives, are we willing to wait for an answer maybe a relationship that needs reconciling a health issue that needs to be healed a financial problem that needs to be resolved maybe you're dealing with anxiety or depression or other voices competing in your mind that are telling you that your faith is useless are you patiently waiting for the Lord in silence To hear what he has to say. Now I know that that can be difficult with all the noise that is happening in the world today. But it can be done. We can turn off our TV. We can put our phone on silent. And put it in a drawer. And sit with the Lord. With our Bible. And read about him. And wait patiently for him to answer our prayer. Read in the Psalms. Read in the Proverbs. Read in the Gospels. Read and listen quietly for that still, small voice of the Lord to speak to you in your heart and in your mind. Do you see that God alone is the one that you place your trust? If not, he needs to be. There is no other. He is God alone. You know, I, I know this is probably going to hit some people, but I see a lot of people going to Facebook and social media like TikTok and Instagram, which I stay away from them as far as possible. But some of the posts from folks that I see are startling, especially people who say that they're Christ followers. I just got to tell you, I have to be honest. Facebook and social media is not the place to go for deep friendships it is not a place to go to get serious help or counsel for serious issues it is a place where you can get blasted and a place to have very superficial friendships it is a great place to hide in the shadows do you realize that the Lord has called us to put our faith in him alone in the light he doesn't want us to live in the shadows He wants us to live in the light. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says this to us as believers. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Live in the light, the light that comes from Jesus alone. Bring your light. Your light as a Christian, the light that lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, by your faith out into the world that lives in such darkness they can't see. This world, more than any other time that I can remember, needs the light. You are carriers of the light. We have been given a mandate by the Lord to go and make disciples, teaching them about who Jesus is, and that we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are called to be witnesses. What has Christ done for you? Share that with those that are around you. Verse 2, David tells us what happens when we actually follow what he said in verse 1. He says, and he says that he, God, alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. There's two things. And the first one we see is that God is our rock, unmovable, unchanging. We call that immutable. A God who, you can count on a God who keeps his promises to his people he will help you through difficulties he is our strength he is our mighty one the second is you see him as your only source for your salvation which he is Christ is our source for our salvation he alone the son of the most high God who was raised up on the cross in glory to take our sins upon himself, to suffer and endure the full wrath of his Father so that we could be saved from it. He alone is our source. There is no other. And as we sang already, all other ground is sinking sand. We'll look more into this as we go forward. The third thing I think I said there were two things, but actually, there are three things. The third one is that you see Him as your fortress, your shelter. In a battle, everyone wants the high ground, right? Because when you have the high ground, you have a tremendous advantage. You can see everything. It takes effort to climb the hill to attack. The fortress that is our Lord is on the high ground, He's on the high ground. And he is our defense against those who want to harm us. Our refuge that we run to in the storm. And the result that we obtain from knowing and believing and trusting these three things is that we cannot be shaken. Which means that we will not slip. We will not fall. We will not slide. We will remain unwavering in our faith, in our place in the kingdom of God. Who doesn't want to have knowledge to know that you are steadfast in the kingdom of God? Your place is secure. The strong winds of the valley, which we have all experienced, will not blow you over. It is the Lord, a Lord alone who is our rock, who is the source, who provides the high place that we can go to. And then we cannot be moved. So then why is this so important for us to remember? Why was it important for David and Israel to sing at the top of their lungs regarding the Lord being their solid, unwavering, unchanging, and steady rock that we can take our stand on? Because of verses 3 and 4. People... Our enemies, and sadly, us at times, are double-minded sinners who only look out for their own interests and not the interests of others. Verses 3 and 4 say, How long will you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. In verse 3, David calls out his enemies and asks them, how long will they attack him? How will they beat on him? How long will that be? They beat on him like a a leaning wall or a wavering fence. The word for batter is really not as strong as it should be, in my opinion, when I look at this word. Because that word also means to murder, to kill or assassinate a word much stronger than batter david is levying an accusation to his enemies about a premeditated attack meant to destroy him and what they're plotting is evil verse 4 the meaning here is that they counsel or advise to thrust or to drive david out of power to remove his influence, to silence his voice of authority, and authority given to him as the anointed king of the Almighty. They take pleasure and delight in in telling lies about him. They find it acceptable to bring false accusations against David if it means that they get their way and he is removed from office as king like you when I read this and I studied it and I hear it now the thing that comes to mind is our political state in our country and I don't want to dwell on this because that's not what this is really all about but we know that on both sides this is what happens there is a divide there is a there what is the truth sometimes man where where can we go for the truth in the news I really want to know If you know you can tell me later because I I wonder But there seems to be a willingness to destroy one another for the sake of power. And even now, as we read earlier, that our belief in God is under more attack than maybe ever before, at least in my lifetime. Even Christians are attacking other Christians. And this must stop. The Lord has called His church, His people, to be united, not divided, with one voice, praying out to one Savior and Lord for mercy, forgiveness, and grace to take this hope out into the world, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, our markets, and bringing a united voice, believing in one gospel, the gospel of Christ and Christ alone. We must be careful how we use our tongues. David points out that his enemies praise In public, and then they curse in private. James 3, 8 through 10, a verse or a a passage that most of us are familiar with, says this about the tongue. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers. These things ought not to be so. I ask myself this, having also been guilty of this very thing in my life, how can we curse with the same mouth that we praise Jesus with? As James said, this should not be so. We must be single-minded on Christ, and not double-minded as David's enemies were, and we are sometimes. As a Christian, maybe you can relate to David. It is likely that you have faced ridicule and backlash for your faith in Jesus. Maybe a coworker, a family member, a child, maybe even your spouse. You have stood for Jesus in the public square and you have faced the threat of persecution. There are many Christ followers around the world who every day in their lives they face the real possibility that they will be killed for their faith in christ do you pray for them do you even think of them and whether you do or you don't on either of those cases the lord does the lord cares these two verses verses three and four in psalm 62 are verses that that jesus brings to mind when he said in john sixteen thirty-three. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This world may bring many trials and tribulations. It may want to destroy us and take us away from Jesus, but it can't if we have our faith and trust in him. These verses remind me as well of what Jesus endured for us. The ridicule, the attacks, the lies, the desires of his enemies to silence him once and for all by killing him, by murdering him on a cross, which is exactly what he came to do for us and his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was the cry of King Jesus to his father as he hung on the cross. Mercy and grace, not cursing and vengeance. When we read of David the king being attacked with the intent to murder him, to destroy him with lies, so his voice is silenced and his throne is vacated. Who does David turn to? What does he rely on? It's easy to see. Jesus Christ is Savior. his faith even though he didn't live when Jesus lived David looked to the Lord for his salvation alone no one else knowing no one else could provide the grace to a man who himself took another man's wife and had her husband killed David is not a perfect man but he knew who was perfect and he turned to his Lord for help. Verses five through seven, and then we'll look at eight through 10, sort of as a group, and we'll see that David's salvation is in God alone. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation in my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. David cries out, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. This is like the declaration he makes in verse 1, verses 1 and 2, but there is a big difference. In verse 1, David says, My soul waits in silence. His soul is actively Waiting in silence from the Lord where his salvation comes from. Here in verse 5, David says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. My hope is in him. The difference in verse 5 is David is commanding his soul to wait in silence. To wait upon the Lord where his salvation comes from. David is declaring the proper response that we need to have when we are attacked by our enemies. He is in the middle of an attack and he is telling himself to wait for the Lord. His inmost being. For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. Where does your hope lie? Is your hope in him, or is it in something else? In verses 6 and 7, David explains why his soul needs to wait in silence, to hold on and wait for the Lord. And he does so with a heart cry that is moving and deafening. Imagine the congregation singing out this loud at the top of their voice in worship to the Lord together, having been attacked by an enemy slandered and murdered, wounded and broken. And they sing and cry out, He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge in God. David and the congregation are looking forward again to Jesus, the Messiah, the yet-to-come Jesus, knowing that he is the source he is alone the source of their salvation and only in him will they find peace their soul rests in that knowledge the one the prophet spoke of the one the law points to jesus christ and we can look back to the cross that's one of the great things about us living in the times that we do david is looking ahead a cross that he doesn't know will exist but he knows a savior is coming for us we can look back we see the cross god's holy word has given us that ability And verse six says that he only is my rock and my salvation my fortress i shall not be shaken and as i was working through the psalm and asking and, and literally pleading with god to help me see what it is that he wanted me to see in these verses. Because I was having a trouble, I was, I was struggling with this part, admittedly. And this is what I saw. I saw a story of lifting and raising. This is what the Lord showed me. Christ died on a hill. A hill called Golgotha, which means skull. And we look up to that hill, and what do we see up there? We see Jesus being lifted up on a cross. His enemies thought they had him where they wanted him, dying a sinner's death, humiliated, broken, silenced forever. Things will now go back to the way they were for them. But Jesus wasn't raised in humiliation. He was raised in glory. In an obedience to his father's will that demonstrates a love between a father and a son that cannot be matched by us sinners. He died to save us in obedience to his father's will. We look to that cross and we see hope. When we see the blood, we see forgiveness and a chance for new life. But it doesn't end there. After Jesus died, he was buried in a tomb. And a rock was rolled in front of the tomb to keep him there, to silence him. He was never going to be seen or heard from again. Murdered as an innocent man. But just three days later, Jesus was alive. And the rock was rolled away. And Jesus was raised in resurrection, in new life. His enemies defeated Not silenced, but his victory has been proclaimed and will be proclaimed for eternity. And when we look to that rock that was rolled away, we too see a chance for new life. To be raised with Jesus one day to a new resurrected body in glory with him. But it doesn't end there. Forty days later, Jesus was standing with his disciples, and he was raised from the ground into the air, lifted up to sit at the right hand of his Father, to be our advocate, to intercede for those of us who have put our faith and hope in him and him alone. And when we look up and we lift our prayers to Jesus, we know he hears us, and he is in fact praying. And acting on our behalf protecting us from our enemies he is our fortress we will not be shaken we will stand firm in him and him alone we must proclaim as David did that on God rests my salvation and my glory my mighty rock my refuge is God In verse 7, David says his salvation rests in the immovable rock. This means that he is taking possession of a salvation that he is making personal with his God. He has salvation because he rests in him, and he knows it. He is confident in it. Where does your salvation rest? And what other things do you think of? Do you rest on your own good works? Or the fact that you think that you're a good person? Do you possess it like the most important thing you own? How important is your salvation to you? That's the song that we're going to sing in a moment, In Christ Alone. I'm going to read this section of it for you, of the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it, thankfully. We will sing it later together. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. With heights of love, what depths of peace when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here is the love of Christ I stand. Our hope, our salvation must rest in Christ. There is no other way. 1 John 5 12 says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's pretty simple, yet it's so complicated for some people to grasp. If you place your hope in Jesus alone and receive him as the Lord and Savior, as your Lord and Savior, you have life. If you don't and you rely on someone else besides Jesus or something else besides Jesus, the wrath of god remains on you. John 3:36 Whoever believes in the son has eternal life whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of god remains on him. Verse 8 Trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. David is pleading through the words of this song, the psalm this prayer for us to empty our hearts to the Lord and trust him at all time because he is our fortress. Nine and ten, these verses tell us that we do this because our life here on earth is so brief. Nine and ten reads: Those of lowest state are but a breath, those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. You see, it doesn't matter whether we're rich or poor or whether we're high up in society or whether we're low. Our lives on here, they're but a breath. It is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. This earth, it's temporary. Christ is eternal. We put our hope in eternal things, not temporary things. Temporary things die. They don't go with us. They remain behind. Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 2, 9-11, after spending years of his life chasing after pleasure. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and, whoever, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon, who had more wives and concubines, lovers, than we can imagine, more riches than nearly anyone in history, maybe more wisdom than anyone who has lived, yet he found that this striving after things of the world was like trying to catch the wind. It's impossible. It was like a vapor, a mist. Here today and gone. These last two verses of Ecclesiastes. The last two verses, Solomon sums it up in, verses, uh, in, in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter all has been heard. For God, and fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We see this in verse 12. <laughs> In our psalm. We see this now as we look at the last two verses. When once God has spoken twice, I have heard this: that power belongs to God. That you, O Lord, belong steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. And as David finishes this psalm, he exhorts the power of our Almighty God. That power that spoke the universe into existence and holds everything together is filled with a love that is everlasting for those who put their trust in him alone, who wait in silence to hear from him. We need to seek Jesus Christ as our Lord, our mighty rock, our fortress. He is the only one who gave his life so that we could be saved from his father's wrath. Why would we put our faith in anyone else or anything else but him? First John 4.10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the atonement for our sins. David found solace in verse 12, knowing that those who tried to kill him, those who turned their backs on the Lord, would one day face the wrath of God and his retribution for their sins. If we are in Christ, if Jesus is indeed your Savior, if if you have sincerely turned to him to save you from your sins, from your enemies that keep attacking you and want you dead and silent, then you will pass from death to life, just as Jesus said. You will not face his wrath because he took that for you. But if you haven't, then you will indeed face his wrath. So I ask you, I beg you today, turn to him. Put your faith and trust in him alone. He is your rock. He is the source of your salvation. There is no other. We need Jesus. Your enemy's hate is no match. Jesus love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. The hope that I hope people get from this message in Psalm 62, Lord, that you are the source of our salvation, that our enemies have nothing on us. You will destroy them. Lord, you have given us hope in you. You are the rock. You are the fortress. You are the one that we go to, Lord, for hope, for help, for protection, for love. Father God, we can do nothing without you. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here this morning who has not yet put their faith and trust in you, in you alone, but are still trying to work their way to heaven trying to be a good person to realize that that is just not going to work they need you lord and for those of us lord who i pray god that they would put their faith and trust in you and that for those of us lord who have already done that i pray god that we would find hope in this and we would know from your command to take this out into a broken world that needs to hear this message Father God, we praise you and thank you for your glory. We come before you. In Jesus' name, amen.